today's reading is taken from Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 1 to 13, and that's found on page 1141 in your Bibles. That's Romans 15, starting at verse 1. We who are strong ought to hear with the failings, ought to bear, sorry, with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs may be confirmed and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, and one will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Nimi. Well, good morning. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to come together as a church family. Uh, to study uh, your word and to hear your uh, gospel preached. Lord, I pray that the, the thoughts of my heart and the words of my mouth will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, well, we've done it. We've got to the sort of penultimate chapter in Romans. I think Steve Bell likened the book of Romans to a mountain. I don't know if you remember the PowerPoint that he had. We had this big mountain. And the book of Romans really is a massive book. It's an awesome book, and a mountain is a very apt way of looking at it. And we've climbed that steep slope, and we've come against some really big ideas and complicated stuff, but we're there now. We're at the top. Because everything that goes on after this passage is highs and goodbyes and greetings and these are my plans for the future. So this passage this morning is sort of Paul's parting piece of guidance to the uh, Romans. The other thing about this passage is that if you did a search on the internet, if you were researching this passage and wanted to get some more information about it, it there's comparatively few things about this part of Romans when you look at all the other stuff that comes on before it. There's loads of material out there for the opening chapters of Romans, but it seems like churches start out with 
all the best intentions to get through the book of Romans and then they give up somewhere around chapter 8. And we've done all right because we've got to the end. So well done. Um, But before we start looking at the passage, let's have a look at a little bit of context. Because one of the things that we've got to remember is that the church in Rome was originally a Jewish church. It was a church comprised of Jews. I suspect some of them went to Jerusalem one Passover and listened to Peter preach on that first day of Pentecost and gave their lives to Christ and they returned to Rome and established a church, a Jewish church. And then as that church's mission unfolded, uh, Gentiles converted and they became Christians also. So then we had a church that was made of Jews and Gentiles. And sometime in the mid-40s AD, the Roman Emperor Claudius decided to expel all the Jews from Rome because they were causing trouble. And he wasn't a very discerning chap, so he couldn't really tell the difference between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. If you were a Jewish by race, you were kicked out of Rome. And so what we had left was a Gentile church. with no Jewish element left. Well, after a few years, the Jews were allowed to return to Rome and those Jewish Christians returned to that church. And then we get that mixed bag again where we have Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians all worshipping together. And really the whole letter to the Romans is about resolving those cultural and those spiritual sort of tensions that have arisen because of that dynamic sort of history and mix of people. Now, if you're making notes and you're taking headings, I've got four sort of headings. And the first one is uphold one another. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to be shy or ashamed of your answer. I want you to stick your hands up if it's true. Stick your hands up if you like black pudding. Ooh. I was going to do a fancy PowerPoint with big black pudding up there. (laughs) And I thought, I couldn't do it. I'll bring up my Weetabix. (laughs) Black pudding. Oh, well, you have a lovely hate it, but do you know what it's made out of? (laughs) People really seriously? Congealed blood. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Congealed blood and oats. (laughs) <laughs> now it's a matter of taste I, and uh, the idea as well okay it's not a matter of conscience that I'm not into black pudding but imagine if you've been brought up in a culture where the eating of blood is forbidden and if you ate blood or even touched blood you would be impure and unclean, and unholy. And your whole life is conditioned like this. And it's because of this and other such obligations that the Jewish law taught God's people to observe, such as no bacon, no working on certain days, follow these holidays, follow these high days, wear these sort of clothes, and talk to these sorts of people. This this law that conditioned the Jews, this law of Moses, which was designed to keep uh, God's people holy, distinct, and separate from other people, 
It was this law that was designed to make sure that the whole world knew the difference between God's people, the Jews, and everybody else, the Gentiles. It's this law that was conditioned inside Jewish people. Now, for the first century Jewish convert, it's, they've got an aversion to certain things. It's difficult for them. Now, no one's going to convince me overnight to like black pudding. They're not. And likewise, some early Jewish Christians needed time to adjust to the newfound freedoms in Christ. You see, when Christ came, the law was fulfilled. All these obligations that had to be followed, that was fulfilled. And yet for these first century Jewish Christians, it was slightly difficult to get over that. And that's where we are in this argument. Now Paul describes himself as first among Jews. He was so zealous for the law. But when he uh, became a Christian, Christ penetrated deep. And he no he was no longer obliged to follow that law. He wasn't obligated to it. And so he identifies himself in verse 1 as one of the strong. We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the strong in this verse are the people who have got freedom in Christ. People who have been released from these obligations they can live the life uh, in the freedom that Christ offers. They've been liberated. And the weak in this first verse are people that still feel obliged somehow to follow certain aspects of that Jewish law. The strong are free and the weak are still bound by some law. And Paul identifies with the strong, but it's curious because he wants to defend the weak. He wants to make sure that they're looked after. And the problem was in this early church in Rome was that those Christians who knew nothing about observing the Jewish law were living a life in liberty of Christ, but were causing great upset they were undermining and they were belittling and offending those people who still held on to some of that old way of doing things. And they were doing it just simply because they didn't see uh, their faith in the same way as they did. And what Paul says is, no, uphold these people in Christ. This is not how you should treat your church family members, just because you don't see the things the way they do, uphold them. If, eat, if eating pork makes them feel like they've sinned, then stop serving pork at your men's breakfasts. You know, make, make it easy for them. Don't force your brothers and sisters in Christ to do something against their consciences, because if you do that, then they will sin. Rather, as the strong, it's your duty to use your own freedom in Christ to abstain from it. 4 verse 2, each of us should please our neighbours for their good and to build them up. Now this isn't lofty advice, good lofty advice given nearly 2,000 years ago. 
It's actually got some very real applications for us this morning, if not to this church. So imagine, for example, there was a revival in this land and uh, there were a whole lot of Muslim converts came into this church. Would you sacrifice your bacon, buddy? Would you? Yeah, I know, yeah. It's the tough call, isn't it? <laughs> Even tougher, Kenny. Would you sacrifice your beer? <laughs> Bridge too far for some, maybe. Would you sacrifice that modest but low-cut top that you like to wear on a Sunday morning? Because if we are to apply this scripture, these are the very things that we might need to do. Because these babes in Christ that come into our church, they might not be used to being in a culture that has these things. They might not be used to being in a church that allows its people to behave like this because they're living in the freedom of Christ. You know, God forbid that we let the weak fall because we're strong and we're unable to... refrain uh, from doing certain things or restrain even our freedoms think about it another way are you the sort of church member who avoids let's say the family service because well you don't get a lot out of it you like maturer things you like deeper sermons you like more theologically astute songs well, avoiding services like this, because you don't, it doesn't seem to meet your needs, doesn't really support the youngers, the younger people in Christ. It's the same thing. Again, it's the same sort of attitude and the behaviour uh, which Paul is trying to address here. Wherever you are in your spiritual walk in Christ, part of being in Christ is being there together with the young and the old, the mature and the immature, the strong and the weak, that's authentic church. And the onus is on the strong to use their freedom and liberty by not causing others to stumble. We must not desire just to be around our spiritual equals. We must not desire just to sing the songs that we like and we get the most out of. We mustn't pick and choose which part and which aspect of church we, we, we take part in. We should not please ourselves, but rather we should try to please our neighbour. And it's not about being a man pleaser. It's not about giving people what they want, but rather about giving people what they need. And in so doing, that's what's pleasing to God. Verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So my next uh, heading is our example is Christ. Now remember how I said that many churches don't get this far into Romans. And that's a sad thing, really. It's a shame. Because here we have in verse 4, one of the most significant passages or verses in, in the whole of the New Testament, I think. And it's a verse that teaches us exactly how we should relate to the Old Testament and the law of Moses. Now, I've heard it said recently, uh, and there's vast swathes of uh, churches in 
this world that genuinely believe this, that we ought to sort of get rid of the Old Testament because the Old has gone now. Now we've got Jesus. We don't need the Old Testament, and that's a shame. And it's not actually a new fad uh, in church politics. It, you know, There was a chap called Marcion in the 2nd century B.C., and he said exactly the same thing, and he binned the whole of the Old Testament, and then he started chipping away at the New Testament that referred to the Old Testament. Well, fortunately, the church woke up, and they threw him out, and they branded him a heretic, and so he's been known ever since. Because in verse 4, it says, For everything that was written in the past, that's the Old Testament, was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And I think the Old Testament gets a bad press because we use that expression old. It's the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament. And I've heard it explained like this, perhaps we should call it the books of promises. And we should call the New Testament the fulfillment of promises. Because that's exactly what it is. All the promises of God were made in the Old Testament and we see them all being fulfilled in the New Testament. And it's so important that we keep those two things together. So yes, since Christ, we, we're no longer obligated to follow the ritual aspects of the, that Mosaic law, but we're certainly obliged, as chapter, verse 4 tells us, to observe its moral code and the reasons behind it. And all that stuff is still important. And with the lens of Christ on, we can learn much from it as God's people, certainly about what it means to be holy, and what it means to be a separate people living out our callings to God. For it was all written so that we might have encouragement. It was all written so that we might be able to endure it was all written so that we might have hope. And that's not some fleeting hope or some whimsical wish, but it's a steadfast hope. And it's a hope based on the historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if God can do all things and he can raise Jesus from the dead and put him on high to be Lord over all things, then how much more so can he raise us up on that last day? into eternal life for all of us who believe in his name. Now let's not be overconfident in ourselves or in our spiritual maturity in accepting these things because Paul here, as he's been at pains to express all the way throughout Romans, says, and he wants us to understand, that all our confidence, all our endurance, all our hope is actually a gift and a working from God in the first place. Verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So my next heading is be one with each other. Now as I said at the start, let me reiterate it again. The book of Romans, indeed much of the New Testament uh, certainly the epistles, were written to resolve disputes. Disputes about spirituality, disputes about cultural differences, disputes about petty allegiances. The early church is not some sort of utopian ideal that we long to get back to. 
It's a sad thing, um, but it's no surprise that disputes happen then, and they happen now, and you know, our recent history testifies to that. Um, now, it is sometimes important that we make a stand and we draw a line on certain things, things that take away from the gospel or things that are added to the gospel. They're the sort of things that we ought to fall out on. If a preacher came here and started preaching something like Christ wasn't God, then I'd, I'd be ashamed if one of you didn't throw a few verses at him, let alone the whole book. Um, you know, those are primary issues. They're important things that, as Christians, we need to be divided on. Um, but there are secondary issues that we don't need to fall out on. Things that aren't um, primary. Now, I'm going to use a swear word here to some of you. and I, Please forgive me. I don't mean, mean to offend. But there are secondary issues like the doctrine of predestination. Oh, how much trouble has that caused us? But it is a secondary issue. And it isn't a reason to fall out. Now, I have my thoughts on the matter, and you might have your thoughts on the matter. And we might have a nice but heated conversation after church over a cup of coffee, okay? But I tell you at the end of that, I'll shake your hand and I'll call you a brother and sister in Christ because it's not a primary issue. It's not an issue that we should fall out over. I wouldn't even walk away thinking that I'm any less or any more maturer than you are. Okay, It's a matter of conscience. It's not a gospel issue. Now, I can't say the same thing to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon because they are not fellow believers in Christ and we disagree on far too many primary issues but I'll quite happily shake the Calvinist's hand. I'll quite happily shake by and large a Roman Catholic's hand and even the wacky Pentecostals. Because on all the primary issues, we agree. And if you want a list of the primary issues, then look at that historic creed that we sort of used uh, at the start of this service. What pleases God, okay, is when we are of one mind and of one heart. And peculiar theologies and doctrinal distinctives are not primary. Again, what pleases God is when his church, regardless of background or denomination, are of one heart and one mind. Verse 6, so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when that occurs, when God's people are one, what a wonderful thing. God is glorified. I, I do wonder sometimes, and it is sad that, and I wonder what God thinks, let alone what the world thinks, that when this, the Christians fall out over silly little things. It is terribly sad. Well, my next heading. Accept one another. And actually, in closing, Paul seeks to bring some clarity on that age-old question of the division between Jews and Gentiles. At the start, we see him side with the Gentiles as, as him being someone who's heavy on grace, but actually light on law. But now he wants to affirm and build up his Jewish listeners also. 
But to both, he wants to say this, and to us also, with all our differences this morning, verse 7, he wants us to understand this, that we ought to accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted us, in order to bring praise to God. And so using that principle of verse 4, the importance of the Old Testament, it's there for a reason, Paul says, and he explains the order of things. He says, this is God's plan. This is redemptive history. <coughs> Simply put, God called a people to himself, that was the Jews, to be his own people, that through them he might bring Jesus into the world. And through them and through him, he might bring all men to himself. That's the Gentiles and everyone else. So that all may receive salvation. Jews, Jesus, Gentiles, the whole world. That is the order of things. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then verse after verse after verse, like a great Old Testament machine gun, Paul with no explanation required, required demonstrates it he says out of psalm 18 therefore i will praise you among the gentiles i will sing the praises of your name deuteronomy 32 rejoice you gentiles with his people psalm 117 praise the lord all you gentiles let all the people extol him isaiah 11 the root of jesse that line of david from which jesus came from will spring up one who will arise to rule over all the nations. In him, the Gentiles will have hope. So I hope I've done this closing passage a little bit of justice and that you can, you've all took away something from this morning. Um, in summary, Paul closes his book, therefore, by calling all the Christians in Rome and us today to first <coughs> uphold each other, to secondly be one with each other and do this because Christ is our, our example and Christ did that for us. Thirdly, strive hard then to be one with each other and finally accept one another. Let me pray. May the God of hope fill us with all joy, fill us with all peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.